everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast for helping you improve your skills and strategies in about an hour. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on the left our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And on the right, our evil podcast host, Joshua Death. Ah, hi. How are you two doing this fine, excessively warm summer evening? Regretting that I did not run the attic fan last night. Yeah, it's definitely pretty warm for those of us even up here in the Pacific Northwest. How are things over your way, Josh? Not as hot as when I was in hell, but, uh, you know, getting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, probably not cool very many places in the country at all at this point. No, I don't think it is. I'd say it was all the purging, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, and I don't imagine that was the deciding factor. <laughs> so, one of the things I'd uh, seen some folks talking about recently that kind of piqued my interest was the addition of a lot more technology to the way we play the game. And if you if you kind of think about it a little bit, I mean, the obvious one is smartphones and the use of Best Coast pairings as Battlescribe which mm-hmm. 10 years ago would not have existed at all. Uh, I remember still building lists on Army Builder and printing them out. Uh-huh. Or just even, like, trying to communicate the pairings and table numbers to all the players in a tournament. Uh, like, I, I absolutely shitty remember... projection screens? Yeah, with LVO just putting up the, the old 250 or 300 players on a projection screen that no one could read... It was fantastic. For those listening, yes, that did happen. Yeah. Or the TOs at large events, like 100-plus player events, like printing out five copies of the pairings and then scattering them about the room on walls so that you didn't have, you know, 90 people all crowded around a single sheet of paper trying to read off where they were. It was still a clusterfuck. (laughs) It was a mess. It's like, yeah, we sometimes... Thing that, you know, BCP is not perfect, but I tell you what, it is a hell of a lot faster than the alternative. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, we went to Long War doubles at LVO, and it was oh, not using BCP, and Sean and I just, like, Did quit. it all by hand. Like, those guys are great, but don't do that all. You can't coordinate a hundred people by handwriting the pairings out. It just, it don't work. Yeah. Let's just say no. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of other stuff as well. Like, I'm sure both of you have kind of seen. Like, there's just, there's so many things. You know, chess clocks are a big one. Mm-hmm. So, Josh and I were having a discussion. How do you play across the internet? Because there has to be a way to do this. Possible. There's two solutions right now. One is Vassal, which is basically very 2D and basic, and you can kind yeah. of make it in Roll20-like system. It, for those who have not seen it, it's, it's a top-down tabletop war ta- gaming simulator. Just prevents a, a a 2D map that you can, you know, place units onto, measure ranges, etc. But one of the things that came up was VR technology in the 40k realm, because I've actually played Tabletop Simulator in VR, and it's remarkably realistic to a 40k it's, experience. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I, I have not played it myself, because I don't have a VR rig. It's gotten to the point where it's usable. I would still not say that it is a great solution, but we're working towards it for sure. It's cheaper than a plane ticket. Yeah, although not by a lot. <laughs> You're right. I can reuse it unlike a plane ticket. Yes. Yeah, I was about to say the replayability is definitely higher there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I've got a VR rig. He's considering sure. getting one, and we're going to kick around trying to e-play. It's an interesting idea. It's like the fact that it's possible is certainly a, a big shift from, you know, previous years. But even like beyond that, like there's, you know, streaming of 40k games is another thing that just did not exist five or ten years ago. Not even close. Even five years ago, it was extremely rare. And ten years ago, it certainly didn't exist at all. Also, the prevalence of things like podcasts. Yes. Podcasting uh, has got a lot cheaper and easier and faster and everything yep. just because of the digital age has made it's, that all better. In a lot of ways, it's kind of replaced uh, some of the old like 40k forums and blogs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you, you also have things like dice rolling apps and stuff like that. Ish. 3D printing with the prevalence of terrain building and yep. proxy making and yep. all sorts of other technology there. Yeah. 
And I think it's fair to say that we'll we'll probably see continue to see changes like this as like technology becomes more and more of a thing in the game. Well, there's also like for someone with a disability, there's all sorts of access tools that weren't there before. Absolutely. Noise canceling headphones. Yep. Surprisingly powerful. I just mm-hmm. got myself a pair to try. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know Mitch Pelham is a big fan of those at tournaments. Uh, he he often takes them to larger events because it helps him cope with some of the the stress of that sort of thing. Which you know, it's like those events are stressful. There's a lot of different kind of tools out there for folks of all sorts, honestly, that can help you play the game in various ways. And and my take on it is really just like take advantage of everything you can. Uh, the game's already hard. There's no reason not to use a tool that's out there. Uh, even if it does take a little bit of a, a learning curve, mm-hmm. but it's it's absolutely achievable. Fun fact, I was punting around with one of the autism apps. These are for nonverbal autistic people where they oh, can press yeah. a button with an icon and it'll say a phrase. Mm-hmm. Well, I programmed one for a bunch of 40k phrases, oh, and yeah. the reason is in loud rooms, it puts the text up really big and I can show my person a smartphone and go, that's... this is what I'm trying to say when you can't hear me. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Certainly better than, like, trying flashcards or something, you know, desperately shuffling through your deck of cards looking for, I deny a psychic power or whatever. <laughs> I, I had my organized by phase, so I'd pick sure. up the phase deck, and right. I did use them at LVO. Which which is great until you do something out of phase. <gasps> Shh. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of times of technology that, you know, whatever it is you're struggling with the game can probably help you with that somehow. Uh, if you're bad at math, there's dice calculators out there that will tell you the odds of how to do things. If you struggle to remember unit profiles, you can have all that right in your, your printout or in your uh, app just available to you at any second. Let's talk about an army that has really been tearing it up recently and that uh, a lot of people are real concerned with, namely the Plague Bearer list. Oof, the Plague Bearer list. So aren't these people just Kosh being Josh's LVO list? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, we'll we'll hit that up in a second, but I think most people are much more familiar with it from uh, T.J. Lanigan or Jim Vessel. Yes, yes, very much so. Who have been going wild with it, although they are certainly not the only people who are running this army. No. Um, in T.J.'s defense, T.J. has been running this list since last November. Oh, yeah. Not this past November, but, like, literally the November before that. Mm-hmm. He, he has been running this list for a, a variant of for about a year, year and a half. Yeah. And so he's had a lot of time to hone his skill with this list. And that's actually mm-hmm. one of the most interesting things about this list, just to kind of, like, preface it all. It, all the components of it have been around for a long time. Yeah. None of these books are new. This is all stuff that people could have been running a year or almost two years ago. Demons and Death Guard are in Thousand Suns. Those three books... Those are all very early releases, yeah. Yep, and they were fairly early releases, exactly. So for those who may not be as familiar with it, uh, the list we are talking about is the sort of the Chaos Soup list that you've seen tooling around a lot recently. It is usually kind of defined by a big block of plague bearers with some number of characters and other components kind of nestled inside it and doing their thing behind the plague bearer wall. Each of these players who runs the list has a little bit different take on it, and we'll talk about those different versions a little bit later. The common feature of it is basically always this huge block of plague bearers with their supporting characters, and then pretty much always a Thousand Suns detachment to go with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Thousand Suns Supreme Command 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's extremely common. Uh, so let's kind of go through and talk about the components piece by piece and like what they do, what they're strong mm-hmm. at, and uh, why it is they work and why it is they make the, the cut into the list and you know, are pretty much always seen. Uh, so let's start off with the sort of the, the central component, which is the Plague Bearers. So, you tend to see two units of 25 to 30 of them, uh, and then usually, like, some Nurglings or something else. Uh, Shay, you want to talk a little bit about kind of, like, their rules and why that very specific setup is so common? For a start, you see the really, really big blocks, because the bigger the block, the longer they can maintain a minus one to hit penalty. Which yes. can be back-breaking to walk into the side of. Yes. A uh, screen that is minus one to hit is nasty. And these are 30-man blocks, so they're huge already. 
And Plague Bearers have that built-in minus one to hit as long as they start a phase with 20 or more models. So they have that innately. Plus, they can get another minus one out of a spell. Yes, and they are most certainly backed by Nurgle casters that have this spell. Yes. That's not hard to find. The other thing is the fact that they have a five-up invuln and a five-up feel-no-pain basically means they don't care what kind of gun you stick into the side of them. Mm-hmm. They just have a re-rollable five-up save. Hmm. Uh, and I can tell you running Seraphim, that can be really crippling to get through. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're shrugging off more than half of all wounds that are coming their way. Mm-hmm. The other thing is because they don't really, they don't shoot or anything like that, they can be surprisingly quick because they're advancing all the time. And they get plus one to their advance and charge rolls from the upgrade in the unit. Yeah, which isn't expensive, so of course you take it. And some versions even run the Nurgle tree alongside them. It's not as common anymore, but you do still see it occasionally. And with that, they can either fall back or advance and still charge, which makes them really slippery and really fast. Yeah. Oh, dude, that, that tree, personally for me, that tree is the auto-take in most cases, but I know a lot of people don't include it, but that's only if you're wanting to use the Plague Bears more aggressively, which a lot of these lists don't want to do. Honestly, I think it's less the aggressiveness that uh, they don't want to use these days. Uh, the problem is it eats a detachment. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And when you're already burning up two of your detachments on other things, spending your third one there means that you are running into some issues with the list creation. Uh, but that said, it does still happen sometimes. It's not like, yeah. no, you never see it. The other thing is there are some Nurgle powers that like just make them not just even more harder to hit, but there's like... Bonuses to wound. To wound and yeah. toughness and all this other stuff. And these are big blocks of units, so it's like casting on a knight. That's a lot of power you're just putting into a big unit. Yes. Uh, and, of course, there's also the, the demon stratagem to give them the four-up invuln instead of a five-up. Uh, and if you're trying to kill a unit with a four-up invuln and minus two to hit, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. There, there's a minor, I just want to kick it in there, that there's one minor added strat that they have. It doesn't come into play that often. But there's one of the ones they can kick. I think it's two command points. I could be wrong. It could be only one. But it's you target a uh, Nurgle character, demon character, and all units within six inches of that character re-roll once for their disgustingly resilient roll for the remainder of the phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not super hard-hitting, but they hit hard enough that most things don't really want to stay in combat with them for long periods of time. Because, you know, they can get the the potential, like, sixes to wound doing multiple damage. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't have any AP, but they're always wounding on, like, fours or re-rolling or what have you. They hit hard enough in combat that it is not trivial to stick around with them. No. Uh, but their real job is not actually to kill things, because they're not particularly good at killing things, even with full buffs. Uh, the real job is to protect all of the characters. Yes. That is their sole reason to be. It's one of the reasons. <laughs> it's the main reason, we'll say, but there's certainly other things they do as well, like mm-hmm. controlling the board. Because it turns out two big blocks of extremely resilient infantry can do a pretty good job of taking control of the board. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Yeah, and the they're main... objective secured because of course they are. Yes. Uh, the, the main thing they are doing is uh, protecting those characters, though. Uh, the, the character rule is obviously quite strong. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great way to keep your guys immune. And the Thousand Suns casters that we mentioned, you almost always see that Supreme Command of Thousand Suns, are very, very efficient. Whether you're just taking a bare minimum version with, like, two sorcerers and Ariman, or whether you upgrade a couple of those guys to demon princes, or even if you take more than three of them. They are very, very powerful casters, putting out a lot of really good spells. Yeah, because Thousand Suns casters get access to all of the three of the Zinch tables, and they have a smite that doesn't get harder as they yes, uh, the demon ones get all three tables. The the mortal guys don't get the demon table. But even then, just just two tables is still very good. Yeah. Because that has stuff like Death Hex, Warp Time, that kind of thing in there, which allow you to do a lot of really nasty things. Mm-hmm. It opens up a lot of possibilities for the list. 
Yeah, well, it's it's utility, uh, which is very strong. That's one of the list's big strengths is that it has access to a very large toolbox. Um, and mm-hmm. part of this is being able to choose like seven or nine or eleven spells in your list and customize them game by game to target whatever you need to hit. Mm-hmm. If you need to be, like, sniping characters, great. If you need to be, like, catapulting melee units around, you can do that. You've got all kinds of weird things you can do. Also, Demon Princes, they hit, like, Smash Captains. They do. Um, and the the Zinch Demon Princes are relatively dangerous, because they're throwing, like, seven attacks down. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, damage two, AP two, that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but the real big guy is the one that you often see, which is the Corn Demon Prince from the Demon's Detachment. The can opener. Yes, uh, that guy gets the Relic Axe, and he will pretty much kill a knight by himself. Because yeah. he's AP4, they don't get any art, they don't have any save against it. He is re-rolling failed wounds, and is like strength 10 or 12 or something. He's doing D6 damage per hit. He's getting, you know, 7 or 8 attacks. Who knew that the corn guy was really good at killing things in close combat? Yeah, it's weird. That actually usually doesn't happen, so that that is actually a little bit weird. He actually has the added benefit of also, uh, you know, icing on the cake. Every time he rolls a 6 plus to wound, he does an additional D3 mortal wounds on top of his normal damage. Yes, and the combination of rerolls to wound and mortal wounds on sixes is very scary. Uh, it means that even against like you know smaller units, stuff like guardsmen and marines, he absolutely has the potential to kill like ten or twelve guys. Yeah, he is a monster. He is probably one of the most dangerous close combat units around for anything without an invuln, because he will just chew through it. And even with an invuln, it's like you really only got to fail one for him to kill you in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. They also tend to bring a suite of other characters along, because they have access to a lot of other really good characters. The Biopiper... Yep, there's there's obviously all the, the buff characters for the, the Biopiper, the Poxbringer, uh, Changecasters... The Scrivener, all, all of the weird little demon characters that tend to sort of like support their demon troop units. But they also have some more offensive ones that they can bring in from various other factions. Uh, I know what, there's one in particular that Josh has been championing for a while. Oh, uh-huh. well, there's a couple of them. Um, my personal favorite is the, I, I, if we're talking about the buff guys, it's Scrivener, which he's the one that I think most people don't take. No, he he's not as common. I I was thinking more outside of the the demon buffing ones because those guys really fall under the the auspices of the plague bearers themselves. Is like they're just a squad upgrade. Mm-hmm. Oh, please don't tell me you're talking about the foul blights, son. Please tell me you're not talking about the foul blights. Yeah, no, that is exactly who we mean. Oh my god, I love and hate him. I love him when I'm using him. I hate him every single time I have to play against it. I hate that unit. He's brutal. He's so good. Brutally amazing. Oh. If, if if anyone has never run into him, he's got a D6 shot flamer mm-hmm. that has strength 2D6, an AP3, and flat 3 damage for like 80 points. Yeah. Okay, I have ran into him, but I was always outside of flamer range, and he always bad things happen yes. to him. Yes, so. and if you, if you don't get into flamer range, obviously... A lot of people don't realize what the actual threat range of that model is. Because it's an assault weapon. So, yes, he's a 5-inch move model, Mm -hmm. but you can advance him. On top of, he is a Heretic Astartes unit. Yeah. Which means you can warp time him as well. And so now, here's this model that normally has a 5-inch range with a 9-inch gun... That turns into average 17-inch range with a 9-inch gun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He can get catapulted all over the table if need be. Although he is relying a lot on random stats on his gun, you know, D6 shots, 2D6 strength, it's pretty easy. You have enough rerolls. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get some rerolls on that and ensure that it has high enough stats to do its job. Like the Zinch power that gives you a free reroll? Yes, Eh? exactly like that. And your command point as well. So he will basically toast a vehicle by himself if if you let him. And the fact that he can hide behind this screen of plague bearers until the time is right and then spring out and do his job just makes him exceptionally nasty. 
you have to keep in mind at all times that he's there, because you might be thinking about all those smites and other stuff, but don't ever forget that in addition to all that, they've got this AP3 damage 3 flamer that mm -hmm. is wounding you on threes or twos most of the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they have this whole suite of very dangerous characters. And those are the most common ones. Those are not the only ones. There are numerous other characters that they have access to. Knights. Well, yes. So let's get a, talk a little bit about the third chunk of the list. So everything we kind of talked about right there is going to set you back ballpark 11 to 1200 points, mm -hmm. which leaves you about eight to 900 points to customize the list with. Uh, and this is kind of where the different variations come in, with the different players preferring different kinds of versions. Josh's version just didn't spend those 900 points and instead did summoning. And obviously that worked out fairly well for him. And, you know, TJ Lanigan has his version that runs a lot more troops, a big squad of Blight Spawn, or uh, not Blight Spawn, uh, Blight Lords, stuff like that. But there are, there are a lot of things you can fill in here. Uh, and this is really where the list tends to get its teeth, because even those characters are not doing that much damage per turn. If you think about, like, all their smites and stuff together, they're doing 10 to 15 wounds per turn, yeah. which is not enough to kill a list. Uh, so you've got you've got to get your damage potential from somewhere, and this last 8 to 900 points is typically where that comes from. So, Disco Lords, Imperial Knights. Yeah. Let's let's stop and talk about Disco Lords a little bit, because we're seeing them everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Dis Disco Lords hit insanely hard, especially the the Warlord one. Um, so you're seeing them mixed into a lot of lists, and they're very fast, so they can get where they need to be, and they benefit from all of the spells that the Thousand Sun Psychers have. You know, you can warp time them, you can throw that debuff spell onto their target to give them the the minus two leadership or uh toughness or whatever you can take away their invuln you, all of these things even though they you know are not actually uh stuff that the disco lords themselves necessarily are getting are things that help them do their job mm -hmm. so that's a very common inclusion in this sort of list to give them some big punching firepower because one of the things the list can struggle with a little bit otherwise is killing a knight killing three knights, as the case may be, mm. and Disco Lords love fighting a knight. Uh, but the list also sometimes rings a knight, as Shaylin mentioned. Yep, because sometimes just double Gatling Adventure Cannons all day. Yep. Those, like, 900-ish points is enough for a Despoiler with the double Adventure Cannons, and then if you make just a couple little trims, take a few less Plague Bearers and other stuff than you might otherwise, you can pretty easily fit in a pair of War Dogs to go with it and get yourself a full Knight Detachment. And that's a lot of firepower to have, you know, barreling towards you if it if it decides to come forward. Uh, as well as a lot of kind of utility stuff and all the relics and whatnot they can take. Mm -hmm. Chaos Knights are definitely on par with the Imperial Knights in terms of, like, just being a thing you can slot into a lot of armies these days. Yep. They are going to be very much filling that role. Yeah. There's also uh, a number of other kind of, like, big vehicles that will sometimes get slotted in there. Um, the Forge World Dreadnoughts, the Derrido and Contemptor and whatnot. Leviathan. Are, Leviathan is another popular one. Um, all of these are very strong shooting units that can kind of help fill the, the gap that your list otherwise has. And there are other, you know, Plague Burst Crawlers are not uncommonly seen. Mm -hmm. I've seen people try Helldrakes to give you another aggressive element. There's there's a lot of options there that you can kind of bring in. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that we I, I mentioned a little bit was uh, TJ Lanigan's version, which runs a lot more demons. Uh, I believe his, his current version is actually running a double demon battalion, because he will bring in blood letters and pink horrors and stuff like that, um, so that he has a lot of reserve potential that he can kind of place down wherever he needs on the board. Yeah. He hasn't run the blood letters in a while. Uh, he's leaning, he's leaned a lot more towards the 30 pink horrors now, which is ironic because he keeps just enough points in his list to split a single pink horror, and that is it. Yes. And it's actually, it's, it's a neat little trick. I think, I think he told me, and don't quote me 100% on this, but I think he told me that he saw Jim do it, or him and Jim were discussing it, mm -hmm. and, uh, and he decided to start taking advantage of it. But it's where you'll deep strike the pink horizon, and then you'll declare a charge on a unit, 
and you have a musician with a horror, so it's only one eight inch charge. And if they overwatch and kill a single pink horror, and if you need to, you just choose to roll your pink horror's armor save instead of his vulnerable save because that's your choice. Mm-hmm. You let him die. You spawn a single blue horror from that pink dying. And you spawn him within one inch of the frontline pink horror, and you just reduce your charge by two inches. Yep. And you kind of push <laughs> that distance forward. So now you have a six inch, you have a six inch charge with pink horrors on the deep strike. It's a very, very sneaky little trick. But then you just run these pink horrors who just dropped in and did ninety shots. Yes. Into something, hitting on fours, rerolling ones, plus one of their wound rolls. It's just the. Weight of Dice is amazing, and then they just charge in and lock up half your army. Yeah, they're they're like the Plague Bearers. They are resilient. They hit harder than the Plague Bearers, even though they are less resilient than them. But they are another one of these units that can come in and do a lot of work uh, or shield your characters as needed. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of options that you can bring in, just because like Chaos has access to a lot of great options. But the the fundamental list plan tends to be fairly similar. Oh yes, the way it ticks. Yeah, so let's let's talk about a little bit about like why does this list work? Why is it so strong? What's the first one that pops into your mind? It's tough, obviously. It is. I mean, it's it's a an insanely resilient list um, in more ways than one. I mean, even on the point of its characters for the armies that are uh, so many armies out there have snipers and character killing now. Their characters are some of the hardest characters to kill. Mm-hmm. They tend to have decent or even good invulns, some form of damage reduction, good armor saves. Many of them are toughness five and higher. Yep. They they can they can be very difficult to get any kills on. You know, you move that wall of play bears forward and just sort of like take the center of the board, and it's like, well, okay, I get to decide where you're allowed to move this game, and that's that's big. My list at uh, when I ran the the Plague Bear version at LBO, I remember there was one game in particular that because I was trying to keep my scores very low for Operation Yellow Submarine, <laughs> it was there was one game in particular where I had a good chunk of my opponent's army locked down in combat with the Plague Bears, mm-hmm. and remember I in, in my version I had the tree, so I had the ability to fall back and charge. So what I did is I fell back out of combat with one of the units of Plague Bears to leave two objectives because I wanted to give a, you know, remember I wanted to keep points down. Right. And I recharged into the same unit that I was already in combat with. But when I recharged in, I recharged in just to be able to keep enough models, the exact same number of models in range of the objective as he did. So neither of us scored. Right. And, and that, that is the level of control that these plague bearers can, can uh, hold on you if you do not mitigate them properly. Yeah, I've heard a couple players say, like, the list's real goal is to get one or more units of Plague Bearers locked in combat and ideally tri-pointing something uh, Mm -hmm. that is surrounding with three models so that it can't escape from combat, and then just sit there. They don't actually want the Plague Bearers to do a lot of killing, they just need them to sit there while the rest of their list does its thing. Yes. Rhinos, rhinos are are this list's wet dream. Rhinos, chimeras, anything like that. Really, any vehicle that doesn't have fly. Yeah, any real tank, yeah, that doesn't have fly. They they see those as, ooh, those are the hug-me box, because they run up and they hug it, and it's beautiful, because if they do it right, they stay exactly an inch away, all the way around, and they make it so that if there happens to be anything inside this box, it does not come out until you want it to. Yeah. And then you just fly a demon prince up, pop it, and everyone dies, and you're, you're just sitting there doing your little Nurgle laugh, and... And it's it's horrible because you can wait three turns. Like, oh, I'm just going to leave you guys there. I'm going to go fight the rest of your army and I'll come back and deal with you in a minute. Because I'm just going to let the Plague Bears knock on your door for the next three turns. <laughs> the, the, the level of control that this unit can exhibit is insane. Uh-huh. Yes. And also, as you kind of mentioned in your, your earlier example, uh, denying the enemy points is another thing this list is very good at. Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, most of, this, most of the time this list will take a significant point lead early in the game just because of the fact that you're it's actually hard to get the kill the the even kill one not even go for kill more but just kill one huh. is is fairly difficult early game with against this list yeah if it kills anything of yours that's a two-point swing exactly uh and it will very often get that because they can usually you know snipe out some weak unit or uh, a vulnerable character or something with some of their spells and whatnot 
average 23 mortal wounds a turn. That's what the list will do, is on average, 23 mortal wounds a turn is what it'll kick out. Depending on which spells you've taken and whatnot, yes, and how many casters you have, and etc., etc., etc. Yeah, if you go if you go pure offense, yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah. But they can also do, be pretty good at denying the enemy scoring, like holding objectives, um, so as well as secondary objectives. that are impossible to kill. Yes, um, they can. Earlier. They can. They can just sort of like sit on things and like, yeah, I've got like seven obsec models in range of this objective. Do you think you're going to get more than that? Oh, you did. Well, now you've head- heavily committed to that one area, and I can, you know, go over there and wipe that stuff out with my characters. Yeah. Well, as Shaylin mentioned earlier too, you know, one of the main cores of the list being the plague bears. Yep. I I, I would reliably say point for point one of the best, if not the best, basic troop choice in the game. Certainly the most resilient. Yes, they are phenomenal in that, like she said, they're OPSEC. So not only do you have this massive resiliency and this massive ability to maintain control over the table, but they happen to be OPSEC as well. So, you know, just to kind of hammer that point home you mentioned, its ability to not only deny your objectives, but hold them when they want to is just is is profound. Because as far it's as... a toolbox army, yeah. it has something against every matchup it faces. Yes. It has a lot of options in terms of the spells it takes and in terms of the, you know, that eight to nine hundred points of customization that we were talking about. It has a lot of ways to deal with different kinds of matchups if it wants to. Chaos as a super faction has a ton of things it can bring in. And this list really kind of showcases how broad of a toolbox that can be. As a result, this list tends to have an okay matchup against basically everything. Like, it doesn't really have many, if any, bad matchups. Uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of good matchups either, but... We'll get to that in a minute. Yes. A big part of the design of the list is really, like, I can do okay against everything. Uh, and for a very talented player, someone who knows they can use their generalship to carry them to the top tables, that can be a big advantage. Um, because you know that no matter who you get matched up against, it's going to come down to a game of your skills versus theirs. And if you feel you are more skilled than them, that's good. Mm-hmm. So, with that, I think we will go ahead and take ourselves a little break to go visit the Quartermaster. Uh, and once she is done berating us for losing all of our uniforms this month, uh, then we will catch you to talk a little bit about how you can take this list apart and when it doesn't work. area gamers if you're looking for a major itc event happening in the later end of the year here think about Stumptown stomp it's a charity event and at only 55 dollars the majority of which does go to charity you can get in for two full days of gaming on november 16th and 17th and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event there are a variety of prizes raffled as well as awarded for both painting sportsmanship overall and generalship so come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. And we are back. So let's talk a little bit about the downsides of this list, because we praised it quite a lot in the first half, and I think it's fair to say that it deserves it. It's won quite a few tournaments, but it's certainly been beaten at quite a number of other events, so it's not without its weaknesses. So let's let's start with a really obvious one. This list is spending somewhere between five and 700 points on models that whose main job is to stand there. And protect characters. Yep. Yep, pretty much. If you're able to bypass that, those are five to seven hundred points that are wasted. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a lot of snipers in your list. Now, yes, the characters in this list are fairly resilient, 
but they still don't get like getting sniped. They they spent those 700 points for a reason. So if you're getting to like shoot Aramon in the face with a sniper rifle, he'll go down pretty quick. Turns out mortal wounds will defeat those characters. Mortal wounds also. If you have targeted spells of your own, they don't particularly care for that. And, like, you can also just sort of, like, fly past those screens. Be it with a shooting unit, like, uh, you know, some sort of flyer or something like that, that is just like, oh, I moved behind your guys because you left a gap, and now I'm going to go ahead and shoot all my las cannons into these demon princes here. Or even if you have flying assault characters, like a Smash Captain or mm-hmm. Dawn Eagle Jet Bikes or stuff like that, those can very easily just, like, dive into this little batch of characters that they've got and cause some serious problems. You know, these guys are tough-ish, but they're still characters with, you know, five to eight wounds, uh, which will fall apart very quickly under a Thunderhammer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They might have invulns, but it doesn't take many failed invulns to start having a problem. Yes. Uh, and there are ways to deny invulns, as this list well knows. So if you can get past those kind of defenses, you can bring these guys down really quickly. Even just threatening to do that, just having that Vindicare or, you know, squads of rangers or whatever you may have around is going to force this list to play in a much more conservative fashion because they need to protect those characters. They're going to have to do terrain hopping, which is real awkward with the blobs. Absolutely. Of course, there's another way around the blobs, uh, the much, much simpler way. Which the I way know... I like to use? Yes. Kill it all. Yes. While plague bearers are certainly resilient, they are not infinitely resilient, and lists that have a lot of firepower, for example, a large number of mortal wounds, or just very high volume of anti-infantry shooting... Tau. Tau can do it. They can get through those hit penalties, uh, guillemin lists with a bunch of rerolls and whatnot. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the ability to ignore penalties, for example, on those new Chaos Knights uh, yeah. or on Space Wolves. If you're not taking that minus two penalty, suddenly Plague Bearers become a lot easier to kill. And it's like, oh, you're Toughness 4 with a 4-up invuln. Oh, I can kill that. Mm-hmm. That's not hard. Multi-damage. Multi-damage is a big one, too, to be able to chew through those. Multi-damage does help a lot. That's why that uh, Chaos Gatling Knight is basically the bane of this because he's doing two damage of a pop so usually they're failing their disgusting resilience yep he's able to turn off their invuln with his friends and their spells if he really needs to and he just doesn't care about their hit penalties and there are lots of other units that are similarly dangerous uh the space marine repulsor and the the new variant of that mm-hmm. just throw out such an insane number of shots that it's kind of like well you give me penalties to hit but i was making 35 shots anyways so it's fine dean still a cult hand flamers going to town yes uh they can do enough damage because they don't care about your penalties either they auto hit um smites and similar things like they're they got a little bit of resilience because they have the the five up against it but you don't care about their hit penalty or their invuln at that point and that can be used to drop them below that threshold of 20 models so they no longer have a hit penalty because smite happens in a different phase than shooting and it happens before the shooting which is really important here yes and even though their their hit penalties do work in melee, melee can be a very good way to get rid of these guys because melee units tend to have more attacks per point than shooting units do. Yeah, orcs just going into the side of this. Yes, they will chew it up faster than it can make save. Yep, because orcs are better at choppy. Well, especially if you just throw like a couple big units into them, it's just like yeah, I'll take a minus to hit. Uh, but I will get four attacks per guy, and we're going to keep doing this every single turn, so you're going to die pretty hard. The Plague Bears aren't going to turn around and do uh, nearly enough damage to the Orcs, because that's not what the Plague Bears are there for. So they're, they're going to chew through you. I mean, and once they get rid of that first Neg 1, mm-hmm. at that point, it, it, the, it's, it, they decline rapidly. Yes, if they are only neg one, they are definitely handable. If you get them down to no penalties, you're going to tear them apart. Oh, yeah. uh, and that's very achievable. Speaking of hordes, this list doesn't necessarily have great ways of dealing with them. Like, Depending big blocks on... of boys, like if they seize midfield before you, th- this list does, that can be really hard for them to get rid of. Yes, this does depend a little bit on what kind of support elements they took in that eight to 900. But... 
many versions of this just don't have a great way of clearing large numbers of models because those smites are not going to do it. Even if you're talking like Josh was about that, like top end, like I cast smite with everyone. I took every offensive power I could 25 wounds a turn. Orcs will soak that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And the plague bearers are going to do some damage, but not if they're getting pummeled by 120 boys. So this definitely can chew through them very quickly if you have a lot of models, you know, be they conscripts or orcs or whatever. My personal favorite is the thwart it with Tau drones. Yeah, they don't kill Tau drones particularly quickly, so they can kind of just like get hung up. If you've got like 40 drones with four up invul and five up feel no pain, that's a lot to get through. Even with smites, because again, five up feel no pain. Yep, you're just as resilient to a smite as they are. Exactly. This is also, uh, since most versions don't run the tree, they can run into the issue of not really wanting to fall back from combat. Because then they're not getting to choose their board position nearly as well. They're not getting to advance, which means they're a lot slower. And they're having to retreat away from you, which means you're getting to pick where battles are happening. That's that kind of like tempo and board control. And so it's like, okay, well, you got to move away from the objective if you want to get out of combat with my vehicle. Because, yeah, they do love hugging vehicles, but they also hate being touched by vehicles on your terms. Especially vehicles with heroic interventions. Heroic interventions can do it as well. Uh, a knight that just sort of waddles his way into the combat here and is like, hey, buddies, how's it going? I'm going to tap dance on y'all. Happy feet. Exactly. <laughs> and especially things like knights or flying vehicles that can just duck in and out of combat at will mm-hmm. are a real problem for this list because this list does rely a lot on finding something very huggable and staying locked in with it to prevent you from doing the shooting that you want to. Because if yeah. it just takes your shooting for six full turns, that's a real problem. Yeah, it's tough, but it ain't that tough. And nothing is that tough. This is 8th edition. Everything dies. Mm-hmm. And similarly, flying screens, um, be they vehicles uh, that you consider extremely expendable, or just cheap units with flies, such as swooping hawks or canoptic scarabs or, or seraphim or whatever it is. Because this list relies so heavily on getting locked into combat, armies that have these flying screens can present a real problem for it because that'll give you somewhere between one and three turns of reliably denying it the ability to stay locked in combat. And that one to three turns can be enough to turn the tide of the game. Yeah, that can just cripple it. Yeah, that can cripple it. Yes. It also, and I know this is something that uh, Josh has exploited in the past, lives in a char- a bubble. Like, its whole army is concentrated in this one little bundle of characters that need to be doing all of the work and need to be surrounded by these units of plague bearers. Yep. Yep. The big thing that I personally love to explain, I mean, it's both on the, on the giving and receiving. I mean, obviously when I ran the list, uh, one of its biggest strengths is the fact that it's, all you're having to worry about is the core, so you can just protect the core. Um, but in the same breath, that's also one of its biggest weaknesses is if you can, if you can find a way to force this to stretch out, you know, you force this army to start spreading out, to have to handle various parts of the board. That's the one thing this army cannot do well. It can do it in a very short burst. You know, it can spread out as long as it spreads out, knowing that it's going to kill these targets. Great. But if it doesn't, and you can have the, or, or you have things to counter with, Mm -hmm. it's only got two. Most of the time, two units, maybe three. That'll be at screen. And each one of these that goes down drastically reduces its ability to cover the table because it's having to rely on less and less units to protect that very, very, very powerful. But as you mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, a eight-wound demon prince, yeah, it's good, but it's, it's not going to stop half an army's worth of shooting if it doesn't have anything not to shoot at. Oh, no. So that's that's the big issue is if you can find a way to reliably push them out, get them to spread out, even get them to overextend a little bit, you can punish them with it. And one of the best ways to do that is most of these armies, when they start having to push out, they will string the plague bearers out in this big conga line to try and protect as large of a front as they can. And one of the best ways to do that is have your threats that are going to go against the plague bearers, don't just kind of rush them up towards the middle. Have a major threat on one end of this conga line, have a major threat on the other. And at that point, when one starts pounding on it, 
then either one of two things. Either they're going to take them from the, the side that you're pounding on, thereby opening up the charge, or they're going to take it from the other end and thereby opening up the shooting from the, from the threat you put over there. Or my personal number one favorite, and this is where a lot of people that I don't think are as experienced with this list fail, is they take them from the middle because they want to keep both screens on the ends because that's where the threats are, inadvertently not realizing that they're taking their they taking themselves out of coherency, and that's a really really big one for this army is it because it can carry cover so much ground with these big units plague bears you take them out of coherency you're gonna hamstring them yes shove a giant tank in there or shove a unit through that hole and make it to where they can't move, they cannot reliably regain that coherency in a single move. The moment that happens, that unit cannot move again. No pile in, no consolidate, no move, no run, nothing. They are literally stuck there till they die. And that is hugely powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who may not be aware, if you cannot restore coherency with a move of any kind, be it a charge move, mm-hmm. a normal move in the movement phase, a pile in move, or anything else, you cannot move at all. You are stuck where you are. And that means that if you can get them to a point where a single movement is unable to re- restore coherency, for example, because they are more than they're like 14 inches apart or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that's just where those models are going to sit. They can't ever move again. And controlling their movement like that, as we've talked about in some of our other episodes, is very, very powerful. And that's uh, why sticking a vehicle in there to just increase the distance is yep. huge. If they don't have the movement to get around that vehicle, that can be really big trouble for them. And also that puts your vehicle right up in the face of those characters and allows you to shoot at them because those at that point the characters are probably closer than all the things. And again, these characters are you know tough-ish, but they're not like take five or six las cannons tough. Certainly not take the, the firepower from a real shooting army kind of tough. That split flank deployment is very huge because it forces them to commit to one side of the board or the other. And objectives that are very spread apart, for example, like objectives in the four corners of the board, Mm -hmm. or otherwise widely spread, can also make it difficult for this army to function. Yes. Yeah. At its core, it's a bubble army. It's all about, like a Guillemin list or something like that, it is about creating a shared set of overlapping auras that do incredibly powerful things. Uh, And if you can force them to break out that bubble, they're in trouble. Because mm-hmm. that's forcing them to play outside of their core plan. Yes. And also, those 900, 800 points of extra stuff usually can be targetable. Yeah, actually, that is a very big one to loop back around on. Because we talked about, like, the Knights or the Disco Lords or some of these other things. These are all great, but they don't benefit from the character protection that is keeping the rest of the list alive. So, if those are the only things you can shoot at... Shoot at them. Mm-hmm. You can apply all that firepower to the part of their list that doesn't have special protections. And in many cases, they'll just go away. Because mm-hmm. if all they have is like, you know, one big and two baby knights, then your Eldar flyer army kind of looks at that. It's like, oh, is that's, that's all? That's cool. I'm going to go ahead and uh, put my 24 AP3 multi-damage shots into those. Oh, yeah, it's working pretty well on these guys who don't have hit penalties or strong invulns. Who knew? And they'll typically have elements like that because they need to bring in some non-character, non-plaguebearer units in order to do work. They will have these knights, these disco lords, the just even horrors. Like, horrors might have a four-up invuln, but compared to plaguebearers, they're nothing because they're not taking that minus two penalty. Yep. Aren't they T3? They are also T3, which makes them a lot easier. Similarly, uh, bloodletters just, like, die instantly when you think about them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Dude, you fart in their general direction, they fall over. Yeah, all of these other things that they bring in to make up the firepower in their list, which they're otherwise lacking in, are much more vulnerable than these core elements of the list. So picking your targets early, getting good priority, will still be able to get you kills in many cases, because they have to have these other elements of the list that are easier to interact with. Also, its basic core bubble has only got 24-inch range on it, really. Yes, it, it is pretty short-ranged. And in fact, the, the older versions of Jim Vessel's army had no shooting at all. They they had nothing that could reach outside 24 inches in many cases. That means that a lot of deployments like Hammer Anvil can be very difficult for them, mm-hmm. uh, because you can just get like three turns where they don't get to interact with you. 
Uh-huh. Uh, you're kind of like, well, I'm all the way over here. You're all the way over there. I mean, yeah, you're holding more objectives than me, but you were going to anyways. Uh-huh. And I'm just killing everything in your army. That's cool. Uh, it's I'm cool, the, bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's going to take me a little while to get all these plague bearers gone. But once all the plague bearers are gone, I'm going to kill everything. Uh-huh. Not having that option does present a disadvantage in, in a lot of lists. Um, where you, you can't kill fragile elements in the enemy's army. Because you do see armies that have these very fragile shooting units that hit really, really hard. And die. If you can't hit them back, then it doesn't matter how fragile they are. Yeah. Uh, you're just, just like, oh. You get hit with the cannon part of the glass cannon every turn. Exactly. And that could be a big issue, de- again, depending on the build. Um, the, he, it may have shooting arm elements in it, it may not. But if it does, those present additional weaknesses for you to take advantage of. The flip side also of the well-rounded part we kind of talked about earlier is that while this army is not really weak to anything, it's also not really strong against anything. It's not really a hard counter. No, it's no. it's it's not. And that means that you're relying on playing a good, tight game every single time. Failures are punished very hard, as Josh was kind of talking about with, like, if they pull casualties wrong, then you can just, like, kill all their characters. That's a really legitimate danger for this list. And likewise, deploying wrong or blocking off your own movement and whatnot, these are all very big dangers for the way this army functions because it's it's so contingent on everything revolving around these two units of plague bearers. Mm-hmm. And also, that said, it is a relatively high model count list, and that can be tiring to play. Yes, especially the versions that bring in more demon troops that'll have, you yeah. know, 80, 100, 120 models. That can definitely be, like, physically and mentally exhausting. Oh, Jesus, it is beyond exhausting. Yes, well, especially your version with all the summoning where you're having to make even more decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any things that you review have found that really do feel like kind of hard counters to it that are you know, innately very strong against this. So high psychic defense can actually stop the Thousand Suns component in its tracks really dang hard. Yeah. I've seen it happen. They don't like that very much. It's like, oh, my suddenly those 23 mortal wounds I was counting on don't exist. Right. It can be swingy. Psychic phase is always swingy, but it doesn't like psychic defense very much. And that's actually worth noting, like, because this is an army that is very reliant on psychic powers, that can be very swingy for it. They can just, like, fail a bunch of their spells. I believe that happened in the game between Jim Vessel and Jeff Robinson. When they played at BAO, like, there was a turn where Jim just, like, failed almost every single one of his spells, and that is a big problem for a list like this. Yes. It's no different than the old curse that used to plague uh, Elder Armies. You know, you'd always have that one game where all your psychic would just go nerf on you, and you're like, well, crap. Yep. Um, one of the one of the big ones for me that I've seen, uh, it was, so two, two more that I want to mention, because one of them is just a very recent thing that I saw that was profoundly awesome to watch. It was shocking to see. Um, it was actually the last round of the event in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was actually against TJ Lanigan. And it was his list against a pure Admech list. And Oh, yeah, this. Just to put it into perspective, the Admech army wiped a 30-man Plague Bear unit turn one, wiped the second one turn two. Yep. And on potentially turn three, he was able to get some pink horrors in and lock up part of his army. Uh, and it, it bought him a turn. It took him two turns to kill the pink horror unit. But by turn four, all that was left on the character was, or on the table, because the Blight Lords went down after the second unit of Plague Bears, all that was left on the table was the characters. That was it. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, now mind you, it was a Crucible of Champions mission, so the TJ was able to secure a lot of points early with, you know, I'm just good at characters on all three objectives, and he got the bonus point every turn. So early game, he was able to get a pretty good lead and, and hold on to that, but... Uh, it was, it was amazing to watch. I mean, the, the, the amount of firepower that, that the Admech army pumped out a turn and not caring about the negatives was amazing. Yeah. And that really comes out of the, the full rerolls from call, I'm guessing. Uh, no call. There was no call on the list. It was all Graia. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Totally mind blowing. 
But yeah, so heavy shooting lists, really and truly, because uh, that's really kind of the main point there, is the amount of heavy shooting that you can dump into them. If you can wipe a unit a turn, you can do it. Especially the high accuracy ones that mm-hmm. are able to get bonuses to hit the way Admet can, or full rerolls, not just like reroll misses, but reroll everything. Like Gilliman. Uh, Gilman does not give full rerolls. Uh, Call does, Abaddon does, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, the, the reroll everything rather than reroll misses is a big difference. A game that brings enough psychic threat to potentially rip those ten plague bearers off? Sure. I would say more generally, uh, armies that function in multiple phases yeah. um, are going to do better here because they are able to kind of like, okay, I'll do this in this phase, which makes my next fa- next phase easier. Yeah, uh, you can really set yourself up there. And it's not really good with a lot of fast, interactive, moving armies. Speedy, speedy, speedy armies. Yeah, it, it can struggle with armies that are able to kind of escape its grasp, basically. Fly. Uh, because you can you can force it to spread out, which it doesn't like, and take advantage of its short range. Mm-hmm. Reapers. Reapers are actually were one of the biggest banes to this army for a long time, until you stop seeing them as commonly, but... Dark Reapers were literally the way to do it. High amounts of shooting, multi-damage, ignored the minuses. It was the unit to kill Plague Bears. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the the Chaos Knight does a very similar thing these days. Is like It basically has the same stat line and, and all that, mm-hmm. uh, just on a different chassis. And is it only like one command point to, do, to, to give it the I don't care about negatives thing? Oh, it's a relic. Oh, okay. Even better. <laughs> It is super good. I'm I'm glad that it exists as a counter to some of the armies out there these days. Yes, that's good. That's good. I like seeing that. All right. So I think we've mostly covered this list. It's certainly not an army that's going to go away anytime soon, as it is extremely powerful. And even if some parts of it get nerfed, uh, there's just so many options for it that I don't think it's going to vanish off the scene anytime soon. Uh, it's been around for quite a while, and it's probably going to stay around for quite a while longer. So, if you have never played it before, if you're not really familiar with it, check out some of the bat reps. There are a lot of good uh, top-table bat reps that have one of the, the high-skill players who are using this list in the finals of an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can really see how it moves around on the board, how it plays the mission, how it can defeat other lists. If you are curious and you want to maybe ask us some questions or something in the episode you didn't understand, or you want some help with a list or something like that, then you can feel free to contact us in our email address, which is inthefinesthour at gmail.com, or you can send us a message through Facebook, where we have our page as well. Or if you would like a little bit more ongoing conversation, you like what we're doing here and you want to contribute a few bucks a month to us, we have a Patreon group, uh, which gives us access gives you access to a private Facebook group as well as a Discord channel. And five bucks a month will get you all that. You get to hang out with us, maybe post some stupid memes, maybe see some pictures of cats, uh, maybe talk about the armies that we're all thinking about running and the tournaments we're thinking about going to. And I'd also like to thank not only the Patreons who do help support us there, but also Dank Muse, who has provided the music for our episodes. You can find him on YouTube, SoundCloud, or Spotify. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our amazing art and Stephanie Sherman for doing our t-shirts. You can find them both on Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I would like to throw out the offer to anyone that's interested in any potential advertising options or if your business or event wants to uh, advertise through us, don't hesitate to reach out to us through our inthefinesthour at gmail.com or message us on Facebook. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Next week, we'll be talking about another episode in our Analyzing Missions series. Yep. Uh, specifically the Maelstrom missions, since that is a thing that has gotten a little more popular of late and is still used by quite a lot of tournaments. So we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why, some of the reasons other tournaments don't see it as much, and how you can play to those missions. Or bait your life, depending. I think that is a sort of an innate thing with Maelstrom missions. It's going to be one or the other, yes. <laughs> so, uh, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. And Josh Death. Thanks for listening. Wow.